Hello and welcome to Friendship Effort Victory, a podcast about the various titles of Weekly Shonen Jump. I'm Maxi B, and this episode is about Black Clover. Clover is the sophomore series of one Yuki Tabata, and is his uh, first notable success tapping into the core weekly Shonen Jump ethos of, say it with me, as well as the spirit of its forebears in the annals of weekly Shonen Jump's action traditions. It's also my absolute favourite series in Jump right now, so prepare for a loving of epic proportions. Ugh. Am I too old to say epic? Hey kid, you're an idiot, right? <laughs> so, it's the story of this orphan boy, Asta, who's like this talentless kid. He's got no magic ability in a world of magic. Uh, he lives with another orphan, this uh, dark-haired boy, Yuno, who has loads of talent. You know, so he's his rival in this magical kingdom where they're both aiming for the position of Wizard King. The top job in their kingdom for a wizard. How do they achieve this? Get wizard books, join wizard guilds, do magic work, you know, usual stuff. So far, fairly simple. Some would call it too similar to Masashi Kishimoto's seminal hit Naruto, but those people are massive c- Naruto is the story of this orphan boy. Naruto, talentless kid. He hangs out with this other orphan, dark-haired Sasuke, who has loads of talent, and is his rival in a ninja village where they're both blah 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 Hokage, blah 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 top job, ninja team, ninja job. You see, I structured Black Clover's summary to make all the uh, Japanese culture gregs out there do the comparison already. But why, when I don't actually believe it myself? Because I'm going to rebuke the accusation in two quick ways. Science rules. Now, if you look closely at our two specimens, you can clearly see some superficial differences at the base level. Ninjas are not wizards, kingdoms are not villages, but these are minor. Let's really dig in. Aha! What do we have here? In Black Clover's core, we find... Much is different. Our dark-haired rival is actually a sweet good boy, a presence wholly supportive of Asta, his best friend, and somewhat of a commentary on the dark brooding archetype that Sasuke Uchiha is emblematic of. His cool exterior is a comedic bit, to the extent of a pathologic inability to turn it off. Where we can see that Naruto's hardship makes him a difficult prankster, Asta is, at the root of it all, intent on endless optimism, using his difficulties as motivation to be better and stronger. Past this deeper starting point, the series grows in very different ways, separating our rivals so that Asta can have magical adventures with his own guild, focusing on issues including class prejudice, bodily autonomy, found family, and colonialism, also big fights with big magic. And then there's the the girl character, the lead girl Noelle, who could not be more different from Sakura if she tried, in that she's actually given room to grow and achieve things and has power instead of constantly being used as a negative thing that people pick on. Which I mean I don't I don't really like that people are mean about Sakura. I think she's nice, but Kishimoto sensei, hmm, not very nice about her. Is he is he? 
He tried his best, but it's still Shonen Jump, isn't it? Two very different specimens, then. Except when they're not. I've often stated elsewhere that I believe all storytelling is iterative, built on the backs of what came before. It isn't that there's no original stories, but rather that everything, everything, is based on what's come before, especially when we're talking about a magazine as defined and chock full of past titles as Weekly Shonen Jump. Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball is inspired by Wu Shengen's classic Chinese novel, Journey to the West. Dragon Ball directly inspired Naruto, One Piece, My Hero Academia, and so many others in the magazine. You could even compare them unfavourably, but this would be a mistake. Naruto cribs from Dragon Ball, sure, but it also learns from Koji Kiriyama's Ninku, which had a lot in common with Yoshihiro Togashi's Yu Yu Hakusho, and had its main characters influenced and named for the Chinese Zodiac. One Piece, as well, isn't just influenced by Dragon Ball with influences as unusual as mid-70s Euro-Japanese animation Vicky the Viking. So what am I saying? Everything is a rip-off? Nothing is a rip-off. I think my main point is that it kind of doesn't really matter. Influence is worth noting to understand a work better, but unless you're genuinely calling a work plagiarism, it isn't worth using that influence as a negative. An interesting thing happened with Jump recently, where authors drew their main characters with a character from a work that influenced them, and Yuki Tabasa drew Asta with Hiei, the dark-haired, brash, moody, uh, short boy rival from Yu Hakusho. I think that caught a lot of people off guard, my myself included, but it's a choice that explains a lot about both Asta and Yuno's character, without so much as invoking the narrative accusation. And something far more productive to observe. It was neat to see people rethink how Tabala was influenced uh, making the work. The, uh, the work I should actually, you know, talk about, really. Black Clover, Black Clover began serialization in early 2015, a notable success in a year otherwise filled with cult titles or abject failures. This isn't to say that Black Clover had it made by default, as it was still an action series running alongside the titans of One Piece, Bleach, and Toriko, to say nothing of the previous year's darling, Kohei Horikoshi's My Hero Academia, a series that some treat as a rival to Black Clover, which is a ridiculous notion for several reasons, none more than that My Hero Academia just sells more as a manga at least, like, there's no doubts as to which is more successful. I like Black Clover more, but, like, it's not really a debate worth having. <laughs> they're, they're, they are their own things, and they're both super successful. I, I'm kind of having the debate just by saying that. Go, go away. Talk to your mother. Still, Black Clover thrived, building from humble early sales of around 30,000 copies. And somewhere, I just heard like the vast majority of Western comics creators vomit blood at the idea of 30,000 being humble. And... Even by the standards of the manga industry, like 30,000 is, is a lot. It's purely by the standards of Weekly Shonen Jump that that's humble. To its current average of above 300,000 copies of volume, securing Tabata Sensei not only the comfort to build his world without fear of immediate cancellation, uh, the, the dread that runs as a vein throughout all of Weekly Shonen Jump's new titles, 
but also opened it up to that magical world of additional media. The big one is undoubtedly the ongoing anime by Piero, the studio behind the, uh... Right now! The... Uh, uh, anime. Among many other jump anime, and they've really grown into this role of adapting the series. After a slightly rough uh, start, dragging out one of the most rapid fire series I've read to what was like an interminable crawl. Like I don't even think it was really hitting the point of being like a chapter of an episode. It 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 felt horrible starting out. But, for those who stuck with it, it's become a much faster show and with a lot more fun to it, especially now that it's hit the, uh, the second year of episodes. Hopefully it'll continue for some time. This wasn't the, uh, the first anime for Black Clover. It received a one-off special for Jump Fester sometime before by Zebek, whose jump credentials include Talovru and Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs, but may also be known for our butts are a lot stronger now. Other things. It feels odd that they didn't continue on, but I'm sure it isn't that rare among anime studios. Anyway, it isn't all just anime for Black Clover. It has two video games on the uh, PS4 slash PC with Black Clover Quartet Nights, and on mobile devices with a game that recently launched in Japan that I've forgotten the name of because I can't play it. And honestly, isn't that what matters? Uh, two spin-off manga, uh, one of them being uh, in Psycho Jump, the magazine for kids, and the other one being uh, online on Shonen Jump Plus and kind of adapting Black Clover Quartet Nights. So it's a, it's a manga of the video game of the manga, which is... yeah. And one weirdly necessary novel. No, but like seriously, characters from the novel just kind of turn up later in the manga, and the novel doesn't have an English release, so it's very distracting. Still, it's a veritable treasure trove of side media. But what is it that actually made Black Clover so successful in the first place to actually get to the point where it has all these other things? Well that's uh... that's this next section of my scripts actually. This is a good transition, right? Like, I, I forgot I forgot to write one and so we're gonna go to the section where I I, I tell you about what made Black Clover so successful. You wanna know why? And he leans over, he says, you want to know why, dear boy? It's what? Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. It seems lazy to just say the art as point one, but it really is a big part. It's gorgeous, with fantastic continuity in action, uh, wild expressions for the gags, and some amazing design work. From the Black Bull's uniform, which is like this tiny little short cape thing, uh, to the labyrinthine dungeons that seem to defy physics, to the makeup on the Queen of Witches, which is really on point. It's all this very deliberate, meticulous part of a united setting. Like, everything feels like it belongs in the world of Black Clover, which, when you're having to create a, a fictional setting from whole cloth, that's really important to hit out the gate and does a big amount of work for immersing people in your universe. Uh, the characters are great, too. From Asta's none more shonen loudmouth, like, hero sort of character type, uh, this irrepressible optimist... To Zora Ideal, the shark-toothed, levered up, unbearably hot bad boy that he is. 
to Mario Leona Vermillion, who's this towering, feline-esque, flaming powerhouse, the sort of punch first and ask questions later, even when she's teaching you sort of woman that really deep down we all deeply love. Each character has a look and personality that not only feels really well matched, but makes them incredibly memorable. Like, I generally think I could name and describe more of this cast unassisted than in any other comic I've read. The sheer variety and quality is staggering. Like, even side characters that kind of blow, like, they stick in your brain enough to to be describable, or characters that don't get that much focus. There's like this, this, there's, there's so much in the way of character work here, and it's got a big cast, so there's a lot to remember. The story really taps into a couple of veins I adore as well. There's this uh, rich sense of appreciation for found family, orbiting around the captain of the Black Balls, Yami Sukihiro, this gruff, dry foreigner in the Clover Kingdom, like very much styled as the, the Japanese character in this European fantasy world. It's not in Europe and he's not from Japan, but it, it's parallels. You understand parallels. I understand parallels because I wrote this down. Uh, he's got... He has a vibe that's very similar to Gintoki Sakata from Gintama, uh, which is great if you've seen that. If not, it doesn't mean much to you, but I think it really drives home why he's the sort of character that uh, others revolve around as a found family member. Like, he's he's kind of this disaffected father figure, but he he shows he shows enough care and support to those around him in his own sort of way that people are changed and inspired by him and oftentimes just actually love him. And he, he has this idea, like, if, if there's a situation where he just needs to get someone to do something they don't think they're capable of, he'll literally just throw them into it saying, like, go beyond. And that's, that's incredibly dangerous and goofy, but the fact is it's his own sort of support and I think it's reflected in the characters that they all actually achieve what he makes them aim for. So, like... He understands their limits very well because he pays attention. Even if uh, Yami is also the sort of character who will spend a lot of time just sitting on the loo, trying to go for a poop and constantly being interrupted. I, I really like this stuff about Yami and I feel like it travels down really well to his metaphorical children, especially Asta, who re rehabilitates and lifts up others through his endless exertion and inability to give up. And even habitual cowards like teleporting ladies' man Finral have the capability for this. Saving his own elitist brother from... Actually, we'll hold back on that one for a second, because that involves villains who I... I don't want to spoil too much about that part of it, but also I, I need to talk about Finral later, because I think Finral's interesting. And that sounded like I had some sort of reservations there, but I... I didn't just want to go and say really good because I feel like a lot of this episode could be me going Black Clover is really good but not in that voice because that wouldn't be massively listenable or would it? No. No it wouldn't. Uh, but also I don't want to go too much into uh, th that particular story because to, to understand a lot of the stuff with the villains and the conflicts they have to do we also need to understand a little bit about classism and the consequences of colonial violence in a fantasy action comic for teens. I, I swear, like, I, it's interesting. I find it interesting. Doesn't really help. I'm not the audience for this. If I was the audience for this, then I wouldn't have pressed record. I would have just sat in a room babbling. But, you know, you might find it interesting. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about, like, Noel and magic and Finral and, you know, the assistance chart. I, I love talking about the assistance chart. 
and then we can all go to sleep. Colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Do you have a flag? The Clover Kingdom, along with its three other card-themed kingdoms, so, you know, like Spade, uh, the Heart, that can't be right. Diamond. Diamond is correct. Di Diamond's come up already. The other two, not really a thing yet, but it's the theme. Uh, they, anyway, these, these kingdoms, especially the Clover Kingdom, have kind of their own little histories of expansion and colonialism and conflict, particularly uh, in the case of Clover Kingdom, uh, against the ancient elf tribe that lived within their borders, uh, who the humans slaughtered for a fear and desire for their power, which, I mean, tale as old as time. <laughs> uh, it's a brutal act in the kingdom's past that really defines them, and yet isn't necessarily talked about before it becomes relevant. And it's responsible for so much of the pain and suffering inflicted upon their own kingdom by the reincarnated and vengeful Eye of the Midnight Sun. Violence begets violence, and what makes it so interesting in this case is the awareness that the central conflict of the series at present is a result of the population's forebears in the Clover Kingdom. Is it, then, karmic retribution that the Eye of the Midnight Sun used the people of the Clover Kingdom for their vessels through this reincarnation, which is where we come back to Finral and his brother, not to give too much away there, to, to inhabit these bodies to take revenge on the humans, even to use them to maim and murder others, others they might know and care about, but they have no control, they're not the people in the bodies now, they're just at the back of the mind at best. Do we, as a people, have to bear the effects of previous generations' crimes? And if so, how much can we bear? Or should we bear? Does it all just perpetuate an endless cycle of violence? Now, at this point we need to have a little conversation, you, you and me a little tete-a-tete. -tete. You may have noticed I'm English. White English, at that. There's a... Uh, there's a history there, an undeniable, complicated, and abhorrent past for our people that largely involves going to other countries, sticking a flag in the ground, and f***ing things up in ways still being unravelled to this day. This isn't to say it was all bad. Oh, God, I... Oh, that sounds like the white statement, but... I mean, there, there are things... To that, just understand that the bad does dominate. It's just, you know, maybe there are things after all the bad happened where you might look at it and go and say, well, here's my consolation price for genocide and domination and the endless cruelty of a bunch of English bastards. You understand why I sound a little pained going into this now. But the bad definitely had these horrible consequences, and it's hard to feel completely separate from that. Empires are bad, and the Empire was long before I was born, but again, it still felt, it's still relevant to me. Do I deserve punishment? Probably not. But I do understand that feeling, and it's hard to navigate. And I think Black Clover's narrative actually understands this complicated feeling, which sounds like ridiculous high praise, but again, fantasy action comic aimed at teens. And it's obviously not one-to-one, -one, but it is surprisingly nuanced, as is its exploration of classism. Like you, 
It's also something I have strong feelings about as an Englishman, by the way. Uh, I'm I'm working class by the standards of the, the 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 class system that we seem to not use but definitely use within this country. The prejudice of the upper classes is at the core of British society, and intentionally or otherwise, Black Clover mirrors this world extraordinarily, with royals and the rich lording it over those living in more common sectors. They're this uh, societal poison coursing through the entire kingdom, influencing how people are treated, where they live, the work they can do, the, the guilds they join. Status is everything in the Clover Kingdom. And amazingly, Black Clover is written in a way that shows that this is wrong. Characters of royal lineage are often shown to be needlessly cruel, stoic, or egotistical people, with little to no regard for those society deems beneath them, and Tabala-sensei doesn't hesitate to mock or dismantle or even correct them, and his tool to do so is, parentheses usually, Asta, whether by oblivious dunking, literal hitting, or the sheer purity of his spirit challenging their perceptions. It's the way from pretty much the start of the comic, and it's heartening to see in a series aimed at teenagers. It's a strong message to dismantle social classes like this. I love it. And there's no better execution of this than in Noelle Silver, and this gives me an excuse to talk about Noelle, who is the best character in Black Clover, so we're going to talk about Noelle, and that's going to be good. I am not a failure! Somehow, I will make you accept Kingsley me! Is the best character. She's not my favourite. I... Boy, I really like Zora. I mean, if he was real and I wasn't married, am I, am I right? No, that, that sounds... That sounds silly, but he's, he's a very cute boy. Noelle. <laughs> Noelle Silver is another member of the Black Bulls, along with Uster. One who started out when Uster did. She's initially uptight, uh, being a person of royal lineage relegated to a notorious and chaotic guild of, mostly, commoners due to her lack of magical control. She has all the superiority complex and cruelness of a royal, but is where she is precisely because she's not considered capable enough to actually be among other royals. The rich will eat their young, as it were, and yet they still pass their prejudices on. It's, uh, it's complicated being from awful families, I suppose, which, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure we all understand that a little bit. I mean, you guys in America have Thanksgiving, right? You talk to your racist uncles. Is that timely? When's Thanksgiving? Where's this going out? It's timely. I mean, unless you're listening to this later. <laughs> it takes Aster to challenge this, saving her from an accidental overload of her own powers with his magic-cancelling sword. Have I mentioned his swords? <laughs> This episode is dense. I've not mentioned the swords. We'll talk about the swords later. He has Asta literally has no thoughts in this scenario beyond wanting to help his new friend. Mean as she'd been, because you know she's really cool and impressive, and like her powers have gone against her. But look how rad they are! These big old water powers. It's this uh, starting point for her to reassess herself and others. And each connection she makes strengthens her as a person into this caring, considerate human being, actualized in her increased magical control and power over the course of the series. More than even Asta, Noelle represents the shonen protagonist ideal and the ideas of friendship, effort, and victory. I mean, 
Aster is, how to put it, he's kind of basic as a character. The boy with no magic is the boy with the anti-magic weapons, is the boy who learns to read key. His spirit is boundless, but it also has very little room to grow. He helps fulfill others. Noel is different. Always growing, always learning, always changing, with like a notable power-up for each step on her journey. And much like Asta, she helps others grow, from teammates to her own brother, and in turn they help her grow. A friendship effort victory in this case is very much that the friendship she gains is what inspires her to make the efforts to get to victory. It's, it's a very straightforward line, but it's... I think very important because she starts off so very antisocial, like almost a, a, a bit of a damaged character, as much of an awful thing as uh, as cliches go when you're talking about female characters. But like she's she's had some bad experiences, which isn't an unfair assessment. And the, the characters, whether it be Asta, whether it be Finral, whether it's Vanessa, the, the, these are all black balls, by the way. I don't think I've made this very clear. And they all help her become something better because she wants to be better for them and herself. I don't know that she'd have the same impact without Asta, but the strength of her journey makes her a worthy deuteragonist. And she's treated as such. She actually fills the role that many assumed Yuno would at the start of the series when they were going, oh, it's just Naruto. I wasn't going to talk about it anymore. Noel. But yeah, so this is super worthy of note, by the way. Because Noelle, she, she's, a, she's a woman. And Shonen Jump comics... And Shonen Jump comics have a tendency to kind of suck when it comes to uh, their, their representation of women. Especially when it comes to action titles. Through one method or another, authors just can't deliver on them being stronger or even as strong as the male cast. Especially if they're a potential romantic interest. Uh, think of Sakura in Naruto. I, I mentioned her earlier. Like, so much of her potential is there. And you're told she's strong. And you even get to see it for, like, one whole arc. But the rest of the time, you're seeing her constantly kneecapped by her relations with the male cast. And she just ends up as the sort of limp third wheel. Which is tragic in its own way. Uh, Rin in Toriko. Both Toriko and her brother are incredibly powerful. And she clearly has her own sort of abilities. But they're almost ridiculously hampered by her crush on Toriko, and, and it reduces her character. Like, she basically puts scars on her own face because she wanted to be cool like him, which is which is really dumb. I like Toriko, but that, that sucks. Uh, Orohime or Rukia in Bleach, two characters. Uh, or Orohime is literally laid out as like, oh, hey, she's got godlike power. Is she going to be able to do much with him? <laughs> No, she's a plot device. Rukia, like, she's the reason Ichigo, like, gets his powers at the start of the story. But she never really delivers on being very capable herself. She wins a few fights, but I think ultimately she definitely loses more over the course of the story. Noelle stands apart from this trend, crushing hard on Asta, sure. But she's a capable wizard first and foremost. Like, her story isn't about being a, a woman who crushes on Aster. It's not a story about not being as strong as the others. If anything, she's 
potentially one of the strongest black bulls. Like, she has ridiculous magical power. She just has to learn to have more control over her magic to really execute upon it. By simply being allowed to be independently strong, to have her own trials to overcome, a full actualization as a character, like, she kind of ends up as one of Jump's best women. Ever. 50 years. 50 years, and this is probably the best. And... That's such a low bar to clear. With any male character, it would be barely above the norm. With Noelle, it's genuine progress. And that's not to downplay her or any of the other characters I mentioned. It's just there's so much work to do to improve Jump. And you might go, oh, it's Shonen Jump, Max. It's aimed at boys. It's like, do you, do you remember last episode? Last, go back. Last episode, talking about Weekly Shonen Jump. This magazine has an audience of 50% women, roughly. I'm rounding up ever so slightly. Like, it does not hurt to think about the fact your magazine is being read by more than just boys. You can represent characters better, you can do better. And Black Clover, God bless it, it's trying. It's one of a small handful of titles where I genuinely feel it is pushing envelopes slightly. Uh, the, the Promised Neverland, which is also running in Jump right now, is another really strong candidate by virtue of the main character actually being a girl. And I, I think that's cool. That's two really, really forward-thinking titles. And they're not necessarily aimed at girls. I just think it's neat to know that a girl can pick up a, an issue of Weekly Show and Jump for whatever reason, and when they come to a series, it can be like this woman's kick-ass. That's fantastic. And this isn't exclusive to Noelle in this series either. I'll jokingly put this down to Yuki Tabata being kind enough at fan service, because he really doesn't focus on it much. And when he does, it's it, there's something about it that's a little unsettling. It's not that anything's drawn badly, it's drawn perfectly fine, and it's definitely fan service. But it doesn't seem like it's his bag. Uh, but seriously, this, this dude has some of the best women in Jump. From Rebecca, this tough kid raising her siblings and paying her way through life, like, through a lot of work. She, it's, she's amazing. Mary, Mary O'Leona. She's, like, this fiery, like, being of wild might. But she's there for her guild. She's training. She improves them. She's actually one of the most supportive characters in the series. And it still absolutely fits into her wild nature. She's a, a very well-fleshed-out character in that way. Uh, <laughs> Grey. So, spoilers, uh, there's a character early on who's like this big old hulking lump uh, called Grey, who can turn into other characters, and it turns out that she's actually like this petite girl with garlic-looking hair, and I adore that. And I think it creates this really nice dichotomy uh, of the character's nature. When she's disguised, she's really bulky and out there, like, g giving the odds, being weirdly mean sometimes, but in a funny way. And then the second that's down, the second you see her as a person, she's almost comically shy. And it's a gimmick. It's comedy. But I think it gives you a, a really good message about, like, how she best feels empowered by being someone else and what that means. Like, I, I don't think your takeaway is be like that. I think the takeaway is to think about what happens to her in her life, what's happened in society, that it's better for her to appear to be someone else than someone so... Timid. Grey's great. Grey's my third favourite character. Um, Noelle's actually my fourth favourite. <laughs> like, it's literally like Zora, Mario Leona, Grey, Noelle. Uh, Asta's not even in the top ten. These, these characters are great, guys. <laughs> even Vanessa, a character one would easily dismiss as cheesecake, 
Like, she's literally drunken in her underwear most of the time. Uh, I mean, she vomits comedically to make it less cheesecakey, but she fits that sort of a uh, character model. Like, she actually turns out to be made of deeper stuff. The core of this really powerful story you get in the, in the, uh, in the Forest of the Witches about what you owe family and the importance of being able to choose who actually gets to be your family. It's... It, it genuinely surprised me. I didn't think she was going to be much of a character at all, and then she turned out to go and have a, a really powerful and slightly heartbreaking story about found family, which is my favourite theme in this. It's... Oh, it's good. God, I, I love Black Clover. I'm going to say it more before this is over. <laughs> this episode has descended into me just, like, chomping at the teeth, like... Black Clover is that good. But we do actually have to move on and talk about some substance instead of me just going like, oh, the comic's nice. Let's talk about the magic. It's a kind of magic. I feel like the idea of magic as a central power in this world, uh, unique to each user, isn't a massively original idea. Like, you see stuff like this in series such as Fairy Tale or the Saigas in Beat the Vandal Buster. Really, in just about anything when you think about it. But the execution is so well handled here, tying it all into the actual characters. An example I adore is Finral Rulercase. Uh, I've never had to say his surname out loud before, and Rulercase. Hope that's right. <laughs> and his brother Langris Vord, whose name is much easier to say. Both use spatial magic, but the particulars are rooted in their personalities. Finral, I've said it before, he's this aspiring ladies' man, but like the part of his character it really works with is that he's a coward at heart, and his spatial magic is indicative of this. It's teleportation rooted in a desire to be somewhere else, to put himself in the background to those who he thinks are ahead of him. It's uh, it's about removing himself from a situation. And hey, if he ends up get like somewhere where he can pick up ladies, that that works for him too. <laughs> As the series has gone on, this has actually instead become a, a different representation of himself. It's become a way to be there for people, no matter what. It really does work both ways, and especially, and as I alluded to earlier, in how he saves his brother. He, he gets close to him to punch him in the face, but it's still metaphorically perfect. Langris's spatial magic, on the other hand, is aggressive removing things from space in wide swaths, and represents a bit of a sadistic streak, a superiority complex. There are no obstacles to him, literally, and so he is the stronger and more successful brother. But it creates a metaphorical vacuum around him. Even his parents don't feel truly close to him, as their perception of his magical talent comes before seeing him as a person, as their son. There's animosity in these two, mostly from Langris towards Finral, as the as Finral is considered the, the kinder brother. But the potential to heal this rift comes from how Finral can try and literally and metaphorically get close to his brother. Again, punch him in the face. It's being there for him in a way. It's been a rough journey, with some maiming. Uh, Langris pretty much came incredibly close to killing Finral. It, it was a really shocking moment in the comic, actually. But it looks like the time has actually come in the comic for things to change. And whilst the magic isn't the whole of it, it represents it. And that's masterful. The books, too. All magic comes from a personal tome, marked with a unique cover, or sometimes no cover at all, even. 
uh, with a amount of pages relative to their magical ability within and uh, in the case of the clover kingdom uh, they, they often actually have clovers on the cover three clovers being the standard four is like that it's the lucky clover so you're you've got immense magical talent stuff could happen and Usta's weird tome that kind of pops out of a wall, this beat-up, dusty, dark thing, has the vague markings of a fifth clover, which, according to the story, represents the devil. That's Asta's unique tome of anti-magic swords, by the way, which we'll talk about quickly. So Asta, he didn't manage to actually successfully try out for any magic teams initially, or when it came to getting the books, he didn't receive a book at all. And then the situation happens where his book... Uh, like pops out of a wall kind of and it contains initially just one absurdly large sword looks hard to wield but Asta for lack of his magic has honed up his body into this hulking muscular thing but he's still tiny it's just like when he takes off his body he's grotesque <laughs> takes off his body when he takes off his clothes <laughs> his body is weirdly muscular I have to leave that in there because I genuinely shocked myself like he, he is like creepy muscular for such a small boy and so he can wield this sword, and when it hits things, the magic is cancelled out. He ends up with other swords later. Uh, for a considerable while, he has a sword that can channel the magic of others he's connected with. So, like, at one point, he uses it to, to use a water attack like Noel. It, like, comes out the sword, like, whoosh. Looks kind of like uh, Ichigo's, uh, Ichigo's special attack that I've forgotten the name of in Bleach. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have compared those two. And uh, currently he has a third sword, whose main purpose appears to be that if he stabs someone possessed by Yelts with it, they go back to normal. Which is a bit convenient and a bit weird, but I'm sure there's more going on there. But that, that seems to be the deal with his devil thing. Swords that destroy magic or, like, channel magic or remove elves. It's the anti-swords. I don't know, I think it's a neat thing. Here's another neat thing. I haven't actually got a theme tune for the assistant chart section yet, so maybe next time. For now, assistant chart, haha. <laughs> so, Yuki Tabana worked for Toshiaki Iwashiro of Siren fame, who, as a coincidence, actually had a new series start, like, right before Black Clover, Kagami Gami, that interestingly has been outlived many times over by Black Clover by now. A student surpasses master, I guess. He worked alongside Ryohei Tamura, who did Beelzebub for Jump, and Teruaki Mizuno, author of the cancelled jump title Metallica Metal Luca, as well as manga adaptations of Chisoku Henkai Gyrozeta, and the Avengers, like Marvel's Avengers. Mizuno also worked as uh, Tabata's assistant on Black Clover, alongside Masayoshi Satoshi, the depressive author of the very short-lived Mamiji no Kisetsu in Jump in 2018. Tabata is also friends with Yuto Sakuda, a writer of Food Wars. He actually drew his own series beforehand, the cancelled football title Shonen Shiku. And uh, several of these creators have done bonus pages for Tabata in Black Clover's volumes. Sometimes interconnectivity is actually just quite a nice thing. There's really not much else I can fit in this episode, but there's so much more I want to say. Like, this has kind of been all over the place. I don't feel like I've adequately said much about what Black Clover actually is. But, like, I, I I, humanly can't. This I could do a podcast series just about Black Clover. This series has a lot I can talk about, and I really, really love it. But again, I, 
we, we need to move on. We need to finish the episode. We need. I need to start working on the next one. This one took a long time for what is probably going to be like 40 minutes of content. So some final thoughts. Ad lib, because uh, I didn't script them. I didn't really think about it. I just really like Black Clover. I, I wasn't kidding when I said it's my favourite thing running in Jump right now. And it, it's pretty, it's cool. Its page counts can vary. There have been issues where it's come out in Jump with the art not being fully finished. Tabala works himself to the bone and doesn't always make it. But the fact that it persists in Jump, the, the fact that it continues just to be this stellar example of what a weekly Shonen Jump comic is. And it is. Like, it... People say it's similar to things, and it is similar to things. We've established this. We talked about the the exact nature of stories when talking about this. But more than anything, it's it's emblematic of the, the potential of Shonen Jump, of what Shonen Jump has been, could be, and can grow into. And that's really neat, because we're 50 years into Weekly Shonen Jump's history, and here's the series that feels more like Weekly Shonen Jump than anything that's running Weekly Shonen Jump before. If you're interested in reading Black Clover, if any of this has sold you on it, uh, if you were already reading it, hey, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Keep reading Black Clover, keep watching the anime. It's really good. Don't you agree? You better agree. I mean, think what you want, but you better agree. But if you've not read it, and if this has made you interested at all, it's available in print in English. You can literally hop on, hop onto Amazon, hop onto Viz's website. I'll try and leave some links to these things. You, you can just, you can just buy that stuff in print. You want it digitally? Go to, go to Comicsology. Go to Bookwalker. You can buy it digitally. I don't know if it's on Bookwalker in English. Uh, I should have checked that. If you want it in Japanese, it is on Bookwalker. It's on eBook Japan. It's on Jumps Bookstore, which is kind of hard to access if you're not in Japan. What? Uh, like, you can absolutely read it in Japanese. You can import the volumes physically if you want in Japanese, but it, it's physically in English and digitally in English, so, like, you may as well, if it's easier for you, go with that. And it's really worth it. The digital editions are slightly cheaper, so I, I recommend that if you're a little trepidatious, like, trying the first volume out. But you, you can't go wrong, and I encourage you, if you try it, to go past the first chapter. I didn't really like the first chapter, by the time I finished volume one, uh, I loved it exactly as much as I do now. And you can read it every week in Weekly Shonen Jump. Uh, Viz's weekly uh, digital release of this, it's like 69p an issue. It's got several other titles in it. Like, you, you can't go wrong with it. About 20 pages of that each week is Black Clover. Uh, sometimes it's shorter. He's seem Again, he seems to be struggling to do big page counts at the moment. It's really worth it. You, you can spend pennies and get to have a, a really quick dose of Black Clover. And each time, each chapter, it genuinely floors me. I don't think there's been a chapter of Black Clover I've not loved since I've started reading it in Weekly Shonen Jump past that first chapter. What else? You can watch the anime on Crunchyroll. Uh, please do. It's good. The first 20 episodes are a little bit shonky. If you if you skip those, you're not you're not missing the world of things. Each episode really goes out of its way to establish exactly what Black Clover is about, like, before the opening plays, which I appreciate. It kind of gets irritating when you've been watching it for over a year. You can't get the novel in English. Still still winds me up. You can't get the spin-offs in English. What can you do? If you liked this episode of Friendship Ever Victory, please consider dropping me a few pennies over at Kofi. Uh, that's uh, Maxi B over at Kofi. It helps keep me making more episodes of this series. It took me a long time to kind of get back to it, but just 
any sort of assistance. It all goes directly to me buying more volumes of stuff, which then becomes series I talk about on here. And it is appreciated. You can also leave a review on iTunes. That's also appreciated. It just makes more people know the show exists or exists again as the case was. Is. And next episode, which will be on... So, the release schedule. If, if you're just listening to these for iTunes, um, you, you probably haven't actually heard me talk about the release schedule on Twitter or anything. New episodes of Friendship Effort Victory come out on the 2nd and 4th Friday of every month, roughly. Uh, December has... December? November has five Fridays. So the next episode isn't going to be in two weeks' time. It's going to be on the 14th of December. The episode will be about Yukinori Kawaguchi's Hoopmen. I talked about that a little bit on the first episode, and it kind of lit a fire under my butt to talk about it, because it's my favourite cancelled jump title. It's just, it's really good, guys. It probably won't be as long as this, because it was only 17 chapters. But you might enjoy it. And after that, I'm going to run a poll for it literally after I post this episode. You'll get to decide from four titles over on Twitter, at B as to what I'll cover for episode four. So, thank you for listening. I've kind of rambled at the end here, because I, I, don't, I don't script the endings anymore. I've decided it's more fun to, to have, a, have a little chat with you. But yeah, thank you for listening to Friendship Perfect Victory, and I'll see you on the 14th of December. 